Welcome to the Vorthos Podcast with your host, Matt W. Ruff. Thank you, Bob. And welcome to the Vorthos Podcast, number 10. Um, Today we start a series on the core doctrines of Christianity. And to be quite honest, I don't know how many podcasts this will be. I haven't planned it all out, to be quite honest. I haven't gone that far. Um, But it's going to definitely be several because what we're going to be talking about is the defense what defines Christianity and not just some minor divisions. You know, there's in America, which is where I was raised and live now, though I've been to probably 40 other countries, the understanding is, and again, from Protestant deal is you, you've got, you know, a hundred thousand denominations easily in Protestant system. You have, you know, some 32,000 Southern Baptist churches, but because they're not structured in a certain way, they're basically all independent churches, and you got all the independent churches, and you have Presbyterian, but there's a dozens of Presbyterian sects. And then you have Wesleyan, and you have Methodist, and Seventh-day Adventists, where, where do they fit? Um, of course, Roman Catholics, and so... Where where's the drawing line? I mean, if you're Baptist, you say Presbyterians aren't Christian. Some do, some don't. If you're Methodist, do you rule out everybody? You know, it, it's a very complicated and no exact. Nothing I say or nothing anybody else says is going to ever end that discussion. You just have to kind of set up your your belief system and define it. With a denomination, normally, especially in Presbyterians, Methodists, you have a defined structure and a defined belief system, with the exception of the Baptists, which have some general beliefs, but there's plenty of plenty of disagreement. And you know, it's what the saying: where there's you know twelve or thirteen Christians together, there are fourteen or fifteen to sixteen different views. I mean, that that is unfortunately the way it is. Um, the original creed of the church that floated around was the Apostles' Creed, um, which I'll go to in a second. Baptists especially say, you know, they have a say, no creed but Jesus. It's still a creed, and particularly not a very good one, because a creed simply means, is is simply Greek, uh, I mean, or Latin for what you believe. So, Say so you just simply believe in Jesus is just way too vague. You have the first ecumenical council since the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 created the Nicene Creed and it was modified. And so you have those, and then you have other, you have all kinds of other creeds. I mean, you can look them up online. There's just because there's several, and I think there probably should be several. To be quite honest, um, I'm in the current pr- producing my own. To be quite honest, uh, so the Apostles' Creed goes like this, and it's it's a personal statement of faith. So 
is I believe in God, and I don't necessarily, before we start, there's one line in here that I have issues with, and, and I'll discuss that briefly. It's it's not a deal breaker. Um, it says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into Hades, the part I disagree with. On the third day, he arose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From hence, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy small c catholic church which could easily just say the holy universal church the communion of saints the forgiveness of sins the resurrection of the body and life everlasting amen so that's the apostles creed as it's been translated um the nicene creed is a little bit longer um and more in lot in better but still not to me good enough but we'll get there the Nicene Creed goes less. We believe we, which is key. It was a creed from all the bishops attending this huge church council called by Constantine, the first Roman emperor to allow Christianity and then basically promote Christianity. So it was a huge change from being persecuted and being killed to now being almost the official religion, which it became in the future. So it says, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, of things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the begotten of the Father of God the Father, the only begotten, that is of the essence of the Father. God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten not made of the very same nature of the Father by whom all things came into being in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Who, for us humanity and for our salvation, came down from heaven, was incarnate and made human, was born perfectly by the Virgin Mary, by the Holy Spirit, by whom he took body, soul, and mind, and everything that is man truly he, he suffered, was crucified, buried, rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven with the same body, and sat at the right hand of the Father. He is to come with at the same body and with the glory of the Father to judge the living and the dead. Of his kingdom there is no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, in the uncreated and the perfect, who spoke through the laws, prophets, and gospels who came down upon the Jordan, preached through the apostles, and lives in the saints. We believe also in the one universal apostolic and holy church, in one baptism and remission, uh, repentance for the remission and forgiveness of sins, and in the resurrection of the dead, in the everlasting judgment of the souls and, and bodies, and in the kingdom of heaven, and in the everlasting life. Sorry, I'm not the best reader in the world out loud. Um, the Nicene, which was dealing with this problem of a heresy that had developed that Jesus was this great man, but he really wasn't God. That's why there was all this stuff in this, that second stanza about 
Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the begotten of the Father, the God the Father, the only begotten, that is, is of the same essence of the Father. They were trying to fully define the Trinity. Okay? Um, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all the same thing. It's it's back to the analogy of water. It's the best one I have of where it can be steam, it can be water, it can be ice, three separate things, but it's still just water. Okay, so it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, now, as I said, the Latin word, which is what Catholics who start taking over um, the church in just after the councils start start get started, um, and I'll explain that in a little bit. Um, the word creed comes from that word meaning, I believe. The creeds and, and confessions function as statements of faith for what Christians have uh, historically believed. Now, you might go, well, why do I need all that stuff? We have the Bible. True, but the Bible is, you know, this huge, you know, 66 book that contains all kinds of things, some of which can be mining. Not everything in scripture, everything is equally important, but it's not equal, is not of equal importance. Okay. You go back to the Chronicles, so-and-so, we got so-and-so, and they had so many kids and sheep and whatever else. It's not near as important as the Ten Commandments or, or Jesus' last words. Okay, just, there, there are, it's, that's true, that should be a universal truth. That's true in your own life. Not everything you do is as equally important as the other things you do. Okay? Every commitment or whatever is not always the same. Hopefully your commitment to a to your spouse in marriage is much higher than your commitment to if you have time to attend this so-and-so meeting, okay? So, why these statements and understand at the history, we're, we're going back to just after the death of Christ. Why do we have this? Okay, so you had the the followers of Jesus, about 120. You have Pentecost happen. You have Peter's sermon to the, to the Jewish, mainly entire Jewish population, and the church grows hugely from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000, just bam. Now, we're talking about a society, you know, roughly 2,000 years ago. They do not have, back then, the ability to um, a read and write. Illiteracy is something that we don't deal with so much, especially in America, but everybody you know can can read somewhat, write somewhat, and talk, okay, and generally in English. That's not true back in this time. In fact, it's estimated that, you know, in a, in a city where an educational, where they're more um, driven that way and they have to, you know, literacy rate would go up. In the rural area, you know, it would be, extremely low, but on an average across all of the world at the time, you know, a literacy rate of 
five percent was would be a high. So they had to do things verbally. You know, you you that's why the apostles agree. These are you know this is the basic understanding of faith. Now, the the apostles, most of which, some of the which probably couldn't read or write. Okay. But you had some that obviously could, and then you had scribes and or people that were followers of theirs who wrote down what they were saying. Okay, that's just dictated it. So, and that's how that's in the content in which it was given. And then you move through the process of the church. You know, grows over all of over Europe and northern Africa and Asia, and then you have finally Constantine unifies the Roman Empire and approves of Christianity. Eventually, converts to Christianity, and so you have that huge change. Now. I personally believe today we need larger creeds and I'm not uncommon with that. Um, The Presbyterians have their Westminster Confession of Faith. The Baptists have something they developed right after that called um, the Baptist Confession of Faith. And then in America, in Philadelphia, in 1877, there was the Philadelphia Baptist Convention of Faith generated, you know, a document. The Westminster Confession of Faith is can, compared to the Nicene Creed is is obviously much, much longer. It consists of a whole bunch of points, uh, chapters basically, and I think it goes up to 30, at least 33 chapters. I'm definitely not going to spend the time to read all that uh, out loud, but What's sad is I can go in any Presbyterian church and the, even the elders will, they may have read it once, but they are not versed besides the pastors and even some of them are probably limited on how versed they are in the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, and the Westminster Confession of Faith had a precondition on it and so the history of the West, let me give you a history of the Westminster Confession of Faith, which was drawn, uh, approved in 1646, I think it was. Um, there was a lot of, in England, a lot of um, struggle going on at this point in time. You had, uh, John Knox had already converted most of Scotland to a Presbyterian um, they were called the Covenanter, Covenanters, and they were basically the de facto government of Scotland at the time. Then you had the English Civil War, which was from 1642 to 1649. The English Parliament raised an army in alliance with the, with Scotland to fight against the forces of Charles I, who was the King of England, Scotland, and Ireland. The purpose of the Westminster Assembly was to come up with an official document for the reformation of the Church of England. Well, the 
in order for the Scots to help the English, they had some preconditions that you get it rid of uh, the Episcopal system that the Catholics had set up, and then the Church of England, of course, broke from the Catholic Church of a bishop over were appointed by kings, and then to a Presbyterian form of system and a Calvinist standard. So you've got all that going on. So I'm not of, you know, I don't, I don't hold the Westminster Confession of Faith in the same high regard as some Presbyterians do by far because of the preconditions and other things. I mean, they said, now, and then, of course, there's minor versions, the like the Presbyterian Church in America and the PCA USA have minor, they have different versions. They've modified the Westminster Complaint of Faith slightly. So, they're, I mean, they are. I mean, they're just, that's the way it is. Um. Does it really matter? Yes, if it if it's followed. I mean, that's one of the problems I had with the Presbyterian Church. They had all these great rules, but they didn't follow them. So it's if you're going to have a rule and you're not following it, well, you don't really have a rule, do you? So that's a convoluted thing. But I think a proper confession of faith is a really good thing. Now. Why is it important, you might say? Why can't I just... Because the Bible speaks of so much stuff, it's got to be condensed. It's got to be put into a structure. Um, There has to be more written... It all has to be, you know, systematically figured out, in a sense. Now, sometimes reading scripture just for the reading and the edification of it is wonderful. But bottom line, we're talking about what we believe. Okay. And you've got gazillions of questions. And, you know, so the Westminster, the Baptist standard, all those are fairly long, lengthy documents that try to push down. I mean, the Catholic, the catechism of the Catholic Church is humongous you look it up i mean i did and it was humongous so let's i mean just to put the the protestants over to the side let's look at the catholic church okay so the catholic church had well, well I'm sorry let me back up in acts chapter 15 we have the first um church council and it's recorded actually in the bible in the 15th chapter of Acts. Now, what happened was, understand, remember, the first converts were Jewish converts. There's Peter has his dream. He goes and meets with the Gentiles. He sees the Holy Spirit descend on the Gentiles and, and give them the same gifts that the Jewish were, Jewish were and tells it to the rest of the apostles that this this follower of Christianity is not confined to just Judaism. It's for everybody. Now, I understand that was a big to-do. Okay? So, when you get to Acts chapter 15, what happened was uh, there are some men that came down and started teaching that unless you're circumcised, you know, according to the customs of the Torah, the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, when Paul and Barnabas 
started having that argument with them, they decided we're going to go back to the apostles. So Paul and Barnabas head to Jerusalem and they sit down with all of the other apostles and the elders in Jerusalem about this point of disagreement. And so they had a huge discussion over probably multiple days where they discussed what, um, you know, what it matters. Okay. And, and, and there was in verse seven, Acts chapter 15, verse seven, it says after there had been much debate. Now we don't know what much debate we can only assume, but I, I expect it went on for a few days. Peter stood up and said, brothers, you know what, that some time ago, God chose me to preach to the Gentiles so they would hear the message of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the hearts, has testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as they did to us. Meaning, God gave the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles just like he'd given it to Peter at and the rest of the apostles at Pentecost. Okay? And made no distinctions between the Jews and the Gentiles, which to a Jewish person is humongous. Okay. That's just a huge change. Okay. And so that's the discussion. Do you have to conform to Judaism and then become Christian or can you just come straight into Christianity? And after Peter got speaking, the whole group kept quiet. They listened. Barnabas and Paul explained all the miraculous signs and wonders God was doing among the Gentiles. And after they stopped speaking, James, well, now James, the brother of Jesus, is acting like he's the guy in charge. I'm just reading you what it says. It says, brothers, and I'm reading now in, in the end of verse 13. James replies, brothers, listen to me. Simon, i.e. Peter, has explained how God first concerned himself to select from among the Gentiles a people for his name. The word of the prophets agree. And he, he quotes some scripture that, um, I don't have the exact where it's coming from. It says, after this, I will return. I will will build the fallen tent of David. I will build it in ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord, namely all the Gentiles. I have called to be my own, says the Lord, who made these things known from long ago. So there's this discussion about do we bring in. Therefore, I conclude this is again James speaking. Therefore, I conclude that we should not cause extra difficulty for those among the Gentiles who are turning to God. For that we should write them a letter telling them to abstain from the things defiled by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been slaughtered, and from blood. Now, those are four really unique things that we'll talk about in a minute. For Moses has had those who proclaim him in every town from the ancient time because he is read in the synagogue in the synagogues every day. The, the, the scriptures are read in synagogues since 
the Mosaic Law was established. So the whole church decided to send this letter. And it says, the letter, which starts in verse 23, says, from the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile brothers and sisters in the Antioch, Syria, greetings. Since we have heard that some have gone out from among us with no orders from us and having confessed things upsetting to your minds by what they said, we have unanimously decided to choose men from to send to you along with our, our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, who the ones that brought it to the church, uh, to Jerusalem. Um, therefore, sending um, these people back to you, for it seems best to, to the Holy Spirit and us not to place any greater burden on you than is necessary with these rules, that you abstain from meat that has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from doing these things, you will do well. Farewell. Um, And then, so these groups, again, in Paris, go out back to the Galatian churches and, and to the mainly Gentile churches and say, no, you're welcome as is. Come in and just don't do these things. And it was more than just those things. But those four things were the things that really upset the Jews. Um, so that was kind of the first council. It's called. If you read most Bibles, they'll have a, they'll have a, a above chapter fifteen. They'll say it's the Jerusalem Council. It was the first church council. We have record of church councils in the one hundreds, two hundreds. But the big church council was called in Nicaea over this heresy was when Constantine allowed and set up a legalized Christian system. And, you know, from his perspective, he wanted a church that was all on the same page. He wanted, that's what the reason the council was allowed. He, he, he had set up and, and put his faith in Christianity to unify his, all his domain, you know, you know, the entire Roman empire. And he wanted them all on the same page. Okay. You need to obey A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, you know, down the list. Now, just because it's not listed here, doesn't mean it's, should be ignored. There, there's no argument among anybody. And in fact, today, though you, you have it today, because I think we're living in it toward the end times, people that are fine with murder, for the most part, the Ten Commandments, especially the moral, you know, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do. Most people accept that, that aren't even Christian. But it's going away. Seriously, it's one of the, I mean, the, the, those five commandments that were no-brainers up until just recently are now starting to be attacked. Obviously, we need, in my opinion, they said a much more solid stance of what it means to be Christian. And, and that's my view. Again, 
certain churches will, you know, they're following a pastor who's become, you know, this larger than life. And that's, they each, each as I said, every Baptist church is basically an independent church. So, yes, I believe we should have a larger, larger creed than the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed because we don't have the same circumstances. We have to define what is Christian and what isn't Christian because the you, certain things you can disagree with. <coughs> Excuse me. Certain things you can disagree with, but certain things you can't disagree with and be in the same club. So, I think we have to sit down and develop a a, a much more extensive creed today. Now, my little following probably isn't going to amount to a huge deal, but that's what we're going to try to do in this these next several, probably several months, is develop our own creed. And the reason is, I think we've come to that point where we have to be really specific about what it means to be Christian. Because right now we have major divisions that I just don't see that can coexist. Some of them are based on politics, unfortunately, which is sad. But some of them are based on much bigger things than that. Progressives i.e. in progressive Christians, are denying everything about they don't believe the scriptures are inspired, they don't believe, you know, they they sometimes don't even accept God as God, they just kind of accept him as well. There's it, it's Let's go back to creation. You know, we believe God created the heavens and the earth. How many people actually believe that today? There's a huge camp who believes in, you know, evolution. And then you have the people that try to, you know, I call them the, the, the party of Laodicea. Um, you know, in Revelations, there's the seven churches, and those to me are symbolic churches today. They were actual churches back in the time. But Laodicea, you know, you're, you're lukewarm. You're either hot or cold, so I spew you out of my mouth. Technically, the word instead of spew is vomit them out of their mouth. I mean, and that's a very forceful thing that's going on there. So we have, and there's a book that just recently came out that talks about, you know, it's a different gospel, basically. It, in fact, the book is called Another Gospel. So... You have Protestant beliefs, and then you have this new, whatever you want to call it, belief system that talks like Christian. You've got these. Um, you, you've got, um, as I said, you've got every people all over the book. And so I'm going to try to find a much tighter creed that says this is Christianity today. And that's what we're going to be doing for next week. And I'm going to stop here because this is a convenient stopping ground. But we will start talking about, I mean, the the Westminster Faith had like 32 chapters. So, But we can do more than one chapter a day because they're not like chapters in a book that are, you know, 20 pages. They're more like a page. Okay. So, and that's where we're going to end today, I guess. 
Thank you very much. Have a wonderful time and see you next Monday. Thanks for listening to the Vorthos Podcast. Visit Vorthos.net for more information. That's Vorthos, V-O-R-T-H-O-S dot net. You may follow at Vorthos on Twitter. The views and opinions expressed on the Vorthos Podcast are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Vorthos Podcast. Any content provided by Matt or our guest are their opinion and not intended to malign or insult anyone or anything. Matt W. Ruff can be reached at mattwruff at forthos.net. That's M-A-T-T-W-R-U-F-F at V-O-R-T-H-O-S dot net. <laughs>